Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Just about every part of the U.S. has been hit by some sort of terrorist attack since 1970. Even here in Scandinavia, where terrorism has virtually been unknown, we have experienced a suicide bomber in the center of Stockholm during Christmas shopping. Uh, We've experienced a terrorist bombing of the government building in Oslo two years ago and the following massacre at a young people's camp outside of Oslo by a single individual. Since the Oklahoma City bombing, a greater portion of terrorist attacks have been carried out by individuals rather than organized groups. And it seems that we all have tendencies to categorize, stereotype each other, evaluate groups as good or bad, and polarize our positions as right or wrong. And our brains are built to learn and remember bad experiences. And this often leads us to hatred, racism, and violence. So it seems that compassion and cooperation need to be trained and learned and to be able to make a difference. This program is going to illustrate how actually training the brain for compassion and developing empathy, cooperation, and long-standing vital relationships. And we are going to have a few different programs in on this topic. Today's program is going to be about how uh, to train pro-social behavior. It seems that uh, left unmanaged Evolution takes us often where we don't want to go. And in 2009, Eleanor Ostrom received the Nobel Prize in Economics for showing that people that are capable of managing their common resources on their own, but only when certain conditions are met. She actually identified eight principles that enable groups to manage common pool resources. These principles are consistent with basic evolutionary dynamics of cooperation in the species, and they can provide a practical guide for groups attempting to achieve common objectives. So today you're going to hear how this was actually applied in a project. You're going to meet an ACT expert, Dr. Kevin Polk. He is a psychology chief in the Veterans Affairs Healthcare System in the U.S. in Maine. He is known for developing the matrix diagram for learning and doing ACT training therapy. Uh, Kevin has written a book called The ACT Hexaflex Made Easy, and you can read more about this book and about Kevin on his homepage by clicking on his name on this week's ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Welcome, Kevin. 
Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. <laughs> Kevin, uh, tell us about uh, pro-social behavior. Oh. Huh? Yes, it is. My uh, work with uh, David Sloan Wilson, Steve Hayes, and others. Yeah. What What got you interested in pro-social behavior and training this? I was reading David Sloan Wilson's book, The Neighborhood Project, mm -hmm. and much to my surprise, there was a chapter on ACT in that, that book. Mm -hmm. And uh, then he talked about his work with Steve Hayes. So I immediately, and I could see how the matrix diagram could help explain what they were trying to explain. Uh, and so I contacted both Steve and David Sloan Wilson, and uh, they sort of, to my surprise, got back to me. Uh, and then uh, I went over, I was invited over to Binghamton, New York, which is where uh, David Sloan Wilson is a professor. Uh, what is that? The University of... Well, I don't know. Binghamton University is what they call it. Mm -hmm. So uh, I showed him the matrix and uh, how it could work to explain what he was. He was trying to connect up uh, evolutionary theory, behavioral science, and political science was sort of what Eleanor Ostrom's stuff was. And I put it all together, and he liked it, and so I've been involved ever since. Okay, so but what, what what is your interest in pro-social behavior? Do you have any personal interest in it? Well, I like people being pro-social. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on a very personal level, uh, that means that people are helping one another out, that they've got some common good that they're trying to work toward mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, take care of themselves and take care of the 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 context, the earth, and everything around them. So I've always been interested in, in that kind of thing. My original studies were in uh, uh, social psychology, industrial organizational psychology, which is a bit the same kind of stuff as the, getting people working together effectively. Mm -hmm. So tell us, can you, how, how would you define pro-social behavior? Pro-social. Pro meaning... Uh, well, what is pro? For the good, you know, for the social good. Let's say that way. So a group of people come together and come uh, to some, maybe not a consensus, but at least some type of agreement on what direction they would like to to move. And then they do behaviors and, and look at them in terms of, well, is this moving us in the direction that we would like to, to move toward? Uh, and does that direction from an evolutionary point of view is it evolution does it seem to be evolutionary sound that it, that is is it going to keep us all alive and and uh, living well and taking care of things that's that's how i think of pro social behavior what would be the opposite of that um <laughs> if you're thinking of you know like more short term ego egocentric or what would you say would be well, yeah, doing everything just for yourself, and uh, you don't care what how the effects of that, how it affects other people, nor how it affects the environment, and uh, and how it's going to affect the long term good of of the human race. Really, mm -hmm. uh, I, I look at it at a very large uh, 
look at it. We, as humans, we have the ability to look back on ourselves and say, gee, is what we're doing sustainable in the long term? Mm-hmm. And so if you're doing behaviors that, that doesn't, we have evidence to show that it's not going to sustain us for the long term, well, then let's not, maybe we, we should not do those behaviors and find some other more workable behaviors. Yeah. You know, I, I recently heard a radio program about the American dream and, uh, you know, how it has changed in the last 50 years. And the American dream has been about uh, consumption and material uh, success for the individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, so would this be sort of a yeah, different than that? Yes, it would be different than that, right. As, uh, as we've sort of run out of that uh, and, you know, this consumer-based uh, mentality that Americans have, of which, you know, I'm part of that, so I'm sure I've got my own consumer-based stuff, but uh, it's going to run out. You know, you just can't use everything up and not have a replacement for it uh, and then say, well, well, no, don't worry about that. We'll just go to the moon. We'll, we'll find something on the moon. Well, that's sort mm-hmm. of crazy. Mm-hmm. Let's try and take care of it. On a United States level, let's try and take care of the United States. And on a world level, let's take care of the world. Uh, not that it, that has totally happened. Maybe the tide has shifted just a little bit uh, toward taking care of things. But we still have tons of consumerism and rampant yeah. uh, you know destroying of things but hopefully we can make a little impact here yeah you know uh, in countries like I live in Sweden uh, it's um, you know there's a lot of uh, talk about that the countries that uh, uh, cooperate with each other and have maybe less social differences and uh, I mean have um, distributing of of the wealth and uh, cooperate with each other that they seem to be more stable countries yeah i imagine so mm-hmm. yeah we we have quite the the wealth and the resource disparity here in the united states and so of course that leads to a lot of uh what you know energy let's say <laughs> a lot mm-hmm. of conflict and mm-hmm. um and it just doesn't look like it's sustainable for hundreds and hundreds of years it seems like it'll run out and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and of course then running out that leads to massive instability so mm-hmm. you want to have growth a little bit of growth maybe but uh, you, you you don't want to uh, uh, overdo the growth and obviously the, the United States is uh, uh, the champion of overgrowth probably mm-hmm. can you explain uh, Kevin, about what the eight design principles of Ostrom? Can, could you tell us? His, I know that's a maybe a, a lot to talk about, but briefly, what it is she's she got the Nobel Prize for? Well, she got the she she did this by observing groups, mm-hmm. so she, of groups of people, groups of humans uh, working together to manage some common resource. And you would think water or, or land or, or, you know, at least uh, plantable land. Uh, and so she went out and observed them. So the one thing the first remember about her work is that it's it's based on observation what she saw people doing mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. rather than she sat around in her office and came up with an idea mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. then applied it. No, she just went out in the field and, and observed. And uh, after observing for a lot of years, uh, she, she across groups that were successful at managing the common mm-hmm. uh, resources, she finally came up with, with eight things that... Uh, the or not think design principles that the really successful ones did Mm -hmm. and uh, and so that's how she came about them they were through observation the number one is some uh, common purpose Mm -hmm. that that everybody in the group knew the common purpose which Mm -hmm. was let's manage the water so that we can use it now but we still have it next year and the year after and you know and perpetuity you know so they knew the purpose they they knew the direction that they were all heading in mm-hmm. um, and so that was the number one and, and probably continues to be uh the number one thing that you'll hear about in uh uh any of this work is that bringing a, a group of people together and making sure that they know what the common purpose is mm-hmm. so so that's number one. Okay. Uh, th- th- you want to hear? Th- it's yep. also called a group identity. So you could call it the group identity. We know what we stand for. Okay. Kind of okay. So you want to hear the rest of them really yeah. quick? Y- yes. Okay. Uh, probably the next one is they have some system of monitoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they know when people are doing behaviors that move or that are at least trying to move toward that common good and they're measuring, they're monitoring, they're looking at water use, they're looking at land use, they're, they're, they're monitoring it in some way. Uh, they have some means of uh, making sure there's proportional benefits and costs, meaning you're go- for the work that you put in, you're getting a fair amount out, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So that's that's another one. Uh, they have conflict resolution procedures. So if people violate those, you know, if they try and steal or something, let's say, or if I try and be lazy yet still get get a bunch of the resource, mm-hmm. that there's some fair conflict resolution procedure, and that's usually done by elders, by a group of elders, and and everybody knows it's going to be fair. The crime's going to fit the, you know, the punishment's going to fit the crime, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Graduated sanction is, is the thing of punishment. So if you steal a little bit well you're not going to get your head chopped off but you, know, mm-hmm. you can get in pretty big trouble but the graduated sanctions they they really had that system going well they uh Now, the other ones get a little bit complicated because it's the relationship of that group of people with uh, some larger group above them. Uh Uh, So one is that they have a minimal right to organize. That is, like, if you're a state within the United States, well, you have the right to organize. The United States is giving you the right to organize. Because without that, you're just going to be fighting whoever's above you, and you won't get any work done anyway. Yeah. and uh, the polycentric governance is way, way thing, but uh, there's polycentric. There's many centers of governance. So there's we have mine, and then the United the, the state has a governing central thing and then there's a one for the united states i'm trying to think i guess we could say city state nation right mm-hmm. uh and, but the and everybody has that but everybody operates on these same principles mm-hmm. that that's what uh uh your uh 
you're looking at. And so if you have a dictatorial thing above you and you're trying to run this rather pro-social thing below that, you're going to run into trouble because mm-hmm. they're just, they're just going to come in and get, tell you what to do. And finally, collective choice arrangements, which is going to be too long for me to explain, explain right now, but everybody can read Eleanor Ostrom. The <laughs> stuff that we focus the stuff that we focus on in this is the group identity monitoring conflict resolution graduated sanctions and proportional costs and benefits that's really what we focus on with our pro social okay uh, so so trend. tell us so tell us you so you took this um this is really a, a a program that she she did this from an economic point of view and so uh-huh. you were looking at it and together with uh, David Wilson Wilson and Steve Hayes uh, and and you made a an act approach to it yes but they were yes okay so I started to launch into my explanation I'm sorry okay I just so um uh, now uh, we've had you on the program before, and you have talked about the matrix uh, could you just remind us again um you know how how the what the matrix is well the ma- the matrix is a simplification of acceptance and commitment therapy and training what it does is with the diagram in just a few words you engage people in the psychological flexibility process that's at the core of ACT. ACT is about staying loose inside your own mind. It's, a, mm-hmm. it's about being flexible. Mm-hmm. And so the matrix is just a way to very quickly engage people in exercising or stretching. Here, that's a good way that we'll use the metaphor of stretching. Stretching the mind a bit and getting flexible. Mm-hmm. So the first thing, if you're very inflexible, mm-hmm. that is, well, let me first go, I'm, I'm still, that's what the matrix is for. And so we engage people in the process and they develop, they develop this psychological flexibility, which includes paying very close attention to the effects of your behaviors. Mm-hmm. And so you do a behavior and you're willing to try different behaviors to move towards some valued life directions. Mm-hmm. And then you pay very close attention to the consequences of the behaviors. And hopefully you trim the behaviors that don't work so well and you keep the behaviors that work well and you move toward valued living more efficiently. That's the matrix in summation. Okay. Okay. So, and that, and, and how does this fit in with the, with these principles when you did this project. Tell us about the project. Well, number one, remember we're connecting up evolution science and Ostrom's and behavioral science. And so first we need to start with evolution. Mm -hmm. Evolution is the whole, the whole thing is based on three things. Variability of behavior or variability. The -hmm. next is consequences. And the next is heritability. That is, you can pass the stuff from from person to person and generation to generation. So that's that's what evolution science is. So now we bring that down to the present moment. And I just described it when I described the matrix. And that's why I knew I could help these people mm-hmm. of that. Uh, that is David Sloan Wilson and Steve Hayes was that the the matrix and really act in general. And that's why Steve was in with uh, David Sloan Wilson was to increase psychological flexibility that people would vary their behaviors. Mm -hmm. Remember, that's the variability of evolution. However, 
the the theory that's behind act relational frame theory tells us that people can get stuck in their head mm-hmm. you know hence the title of Steve's book get out of your head get out of your mind and into your life so what we want to do is make sure that people are out of their heads and paying attention to the consequences of their behavior so even if you vary your behavior you want to be able to be open in the moment to look at the consequences of your behavior so then you can make an intelligent decision about whether to keep the behavior or you know try something else so that's and that's the consequences so now we have the variability of behavior we have to be open in the moment to observe and the consequences of the behavior and then we have to have some way of perpetuating that behavior uh, across other people and across time well language gives us that right mm-hmm. so we got that in spades with language and so so the matrix and act also very lend themselves to this work very much you just want to find a system that then connects that up eventually with Ostrom's eight design principles uh, and so th- the the idea was to get people psychologically flexible, get them noticing the consequences of their behaviors, and then teach them the eight design principles and then teach them how to monitor themselves according to, the group, that is, according to the eight design principles. Okay. Kevin, do you have an example so, uh, so we could, that we, we could understand, like, how does, how does it, what does it look like, an example? An example of, well, you, you have a group come together. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and you're going to help this group. Uh, give me anything. I don't want a group. Now we apply this to any group. So as long as they have a common purpose, we'll like what do kind it. of a group? If they have um, worked with. Oh, let's see. Teachers. Mm-hmm. Those are that's a good example. People can relate to teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in in the classroom environment. You, you come together uh, with uh, teachers who are then going to go teach students, correct? Mm-hmm. So here's, here's you come in and say, okay, hi, teachers. Uh, I'm here to teach you about, I don't know, psychological flexibility and uh, increasing pro-social behaviors in your students. Mm-hmm. Now, as I say those words, they'll probably get interested because people like the term pro-social and especially to teachers when I say get pro-social behaviors out of your students. They really like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're ready. And so, so, what's, so then we're going to spend a little time getting them flexible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I go through the matrix and I say, you know, what's your five senses experiencing in the moment? Da, 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 da. And then we do the, the mental experiencing. Uh, Wait, what's that, the uh, mental? Mentally. Well, what a, I'll give you a quick example. The way yeah. I, I usually do this is I have people get out a pen. They usually have a writing instrument. And we do we have them experience the pen and myself through the five senses. So you see the pen, hear the pen, uh, smell the pen, touch the pen. And then I say, don't taste the pen because that wouldn't be sanitary. Most people laugh when that happens, you know, when I say that. So that's a little fun. Then I say, put the pen away and let's do the mental experiencing of the pen. This is at the bottom of the matrix diagram. And so now inside your mind, you can see the pen, hear the pen, touch the pen, smell the pen. And now that it's in your mind, you can taste it all that you want. Mm -hmm. I say, okay. Now just notice the difference between your five senses experiencing of the pen and your mental experiencing of the pen. 
That's mm -hmm. all they have to do. Mm -hmm. Then I have them recall moving toward someone or uh, or something that's important to them. You know how that feels when you move toward someone who's important to you. Mm -hmm. And everybody usually nods their head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, now if you would recall moving away from some unwanted thing going on inside of you, like fear, can you recall moving your body so that you moved away from fear? Mm -hmm. And everybody nods their head, yeah, yeah. So now if you would just notice the difference between how it feels to recall moving toward and how it feels to recall moving away. Mm -hmm. uh, and in those words, I brought people into the psychological flexibility process, mm -hmm. that that perspective taking, that backing up and looking at your experiences. Mm -hmm. So now you've back, backed up a bit and you're looking at your five senses experiences. Mm -hmm. I metaphorically say looking, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. so you're, mm -hmm. uh, and, and you're looking at your mental experiencing and you're looking at how it feels to move toward and you're looking at how it feels to move away. And in act parlance, that's called perspective taking. So mm -hmm. they backed up a little bit. Uh, and so then I do some more with who's important to you, what shows up and gets in the way of you moving toward who's important to you, what kind of behaviors do you often do to move away from the unwanted stuff inside of you, mm -hmm. and what kind of behaviors do you often do to move toward who's important to you. That completes the individual part of the thing. Mm -hmm. We then go to the group, because remember, we're working with a group. Yeah. And we say, okay, all you people in here, we're working with teachers. We're saying, what what's your common purpose, your identity as as a group of teachers? What do you mm -hmm. what do you work toward as a group of teachers? Mm -hmm. Now we're in a process that can take several minutes, and as you well know, we might even spend a long time on that, mm -hmm. as people discuss and really get into you know what's what what brought me to this profession, you know what. What what's the thing that really moves me about this? You know, what's the purpose here? What are we doing? And with teachers, they're good about that. And of course, they get back in contact contact with exactly the stuff that brought them into teaching. Mm -hmm. You know, they they want to shape young children, blah blah blah, teach them information, da da da. You know, you get lots of responses, but you write it all down. And, 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 and you're making sure, and you're in the, as a matrix diagram, group matrix diagram, there's, the, there's a vertical line and a horizontal line, and that forms four quadrants. So on the lower right quadrant, you're writing all this stuff that's important to them. Then you talk about things that can show up in, within the group, this, everybody, collectively. What kind of stuff shows up and gets in the way of moving toward what that that common purpose and they talk about all kinds of things you know ego gets in the way and uh and um, uh you know jealousy gets in the way and anger gets in the way and fear gets in the way and all kinds of stuff gets in the way mm -hmm. and so you you put all that you know stuff what kind of behaviors uh do you do to move away from that unwanted stuff you know well i call in sick i yell i scream i have call, you know da 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 uh, and then we talk finally talk about well what kind of behaviors could you do to move toward this common purpose and then they mm -hmm. talk about that that process I mean, you could run through it quickly, mm. but you probably want to take a couple of three times to mm. run through all that and really get them on line with it. But finally, you then introduce them to Ostrom's 8. Mm -hmm. And by now, and what the process is, is I've just taken them through first an individual psychological flexibility 
mm-hmm. set. Mm-hmm. Then I've taken them through a group taking them through a group psychological flexibility. Mm-hmm. And it's also a what's known as a psychological safety within the group. Mm-hmm. And what that's referring to easily is, is your, how free, how comfortable you are speaking up in a group. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been in a group, Joanne, where you didn't think it was a good idea to speak up? And, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. We and so what I say, we've all been in groups like that. Like we really thought we were going to get our heads a bit bit off, you know. Yeah. And it was not very psychologically safe. Well, a lot of these groups we're working with, that'll be the case. So that second one where you're sort of putting it all out on the table mm-hmm. in a in a lighthearted, you know, move people through the process. Not only are you well. You're increasing psychological flexibility, but you're increasing that safety that people can bring up. Mm-hmm. It's because a lot of the times they'll say, well, we backbite one another and we do this to one another in that upper left quadrant. Well, they're saying it out in the open in a more lighthearted discussion. Mm-hmm. So so instead of really hitting them with heavy stuff, you're hitting them with light stuff and they're getting used to talking about that. So you're increasing the psychological safety. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, you move them into. So once you figure you got them pretty psychologically safe and flexible, you move them into teaching them about Ostrom's 8. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I teach Ostrom's 8 by showing them first a diagram. I don't know if you have the diagram, but I'll send it to you. Mm-hmm. It's called it's called the spoke diagram. I would love uh, to see that. Yeah. yeah, you can see it and put it up on some website. It's 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 quite easy. I just took the matrix diagram, which was a horizontal line and a vertical line, and then I added an X to it right in the middle. And when you do that, that gives you eight lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I put a zero in the middle. And then I put a 10 out on the end, and you then have what's known as the spoke diagram. And so people, the group can rate itself after you teach them what the eight design characteristics are. Mm-hmm. You can then have the group rate have the group rate itself and say, okay, group, do you think you're a zero on, let's say, group identity and purpose? That's an easy one. Are you a zero or are you a 10? You're perfect at group identity and purpose. Mm-hmm. Well, they might give themselves an eight. Then I'd say, okay, how about monitoring? Monitoring. Now, how good are you at that? Are you a zero at monitoring? And the group says, oh, man, we suck at monitoring. We're lousy. We we're, we're all got a two on that. Oops, flat tire. Notice mm-hmm. the spoke metaphor. So mm-hmm. they know now they need to work on monitoring. You know, they need to get at least pump it up to an eight. So they got a round wheel. Mm-hmm. It's all based based on this rolling wheel uh, thing. And then you do all you do all ten of them. They also might discover that they're in they as a group are working underneath not such a kind uh, uh, organization above them. Have you ever been in that kind of situation, Mm -hmm, Joanne? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, but now everybody's sitting around talking about it, and at least they know it, and maybe they can come up with some behaviors to try to improve that, Mm -hmm. or at least behaviors to sort of scoot around the the authority or whatever, you know, try and get your work done. Uh, But they're doing that. So you, you run Ostrom's 8 on this spoke diagram, and the measurement part that we keep talking about are that uh, we uh, 
have them keep coming back to this or some other measure to so the group can measure how it's doing on Ostrom's eight. Mm -hmm. uh, and you could also have them do it on psychological safety or psychological uh, flex, I mean, group flexibility. And you could also even do it all the way down to the individual psychological flexibility. Mm -hmm. Because in any group, that's what you have. You have individuals and then you have the group and then you have the collective thing the group is working on. Mm -hmm. And so in any three, any of those three can get messed up. So that's how I do it. That's how we do it. And that's the training that we're developing and how you can do what I just said in 10 minutes over a lot longer time. <laughs> that's it. Kevin, you're a very creative researcher and clinician. And it's um, how could people learn more about this? Is there being something written up? Um, yes. As a matter of fact, it is all free as far as I know, all the training stuff. I am working with... Uh, I'll, I'll plug her, Priscilla Almada from yeah. uh, Australia, and uh, she's working with me to help put together the manual, mm -hmm. and then I'll be working with David Sloan Wilson and uh, Alan, oh, I'm going to blank on his name, but he's working with, to do a video about how to do it, uh, and uh and basically, it's one, how do you do the first introduction and get everybody flexible and then teach people Ostrom's 8, uh, teach them how to monitor themselves on Ostrom's 8, and mm -hmm. then uh, come back. So, yes, there will be training materials. We're working on them now. We're supposed to have a rough draft out by September the 20th. Okay. Kevin, we've come to the end of our program. Um, do you – would if you uh, – could you give some just advice to people who would like are working with groups or, or would like to you know how could they you know use Ostrom's eight design principles? Do you have any general advice you could give us? Sure. Start with group identity and purpose. Mm -hmm. Keep bringing people back to group identity and purpose. If you have a group and it seems to be not doing as well as it can. Sit down with them and say, we really need to come to literally a consensus about what we're working toward. That by itself will do more than anything. That will account for a lot. Uh, and, and then the next, the next thing, if you get that done, work on monitoring. How do we know how we're moving toward that group identity and purpose? If you can get those two things going, you'll be amazed at what happens. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the program with us today, Kevin. You're welcome. You've been listening to Dr. Kevin Polk. He is a psychologist psychology chief in the Veterans Affairs Healthcare System uh, in the U.S., and he is best known for developing the Matrix Diagram for Learning and Doing ACT Training and Therapy. You can learn more about Kevin and uh, uh, the books he's written and the manual and maybe you know get some tips from him directly by clicking on his uh, home page, which you can do by clicking on his name on this week's Act, Taking Her to Hope. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain, 
values in action, and epilepsy, a behavior medicine approach to assessment and treatment in children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.